Hi guys and welcome back to Countering Climate Change. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about climate change resources. I'm Alina. And I'm Naomi. And would you like to start us off, Naomi? Sure. So basically in this episode, we'll essentially be trying our best to equip anyone listening um, with the preliminary tools to combat climate change um, and to learn the history of it and to be able to contextualize all the natural disasters and current events that have been, you know, plaguing our lives currently. Um, all from diverse sources and an inclusive set of writers from um, a more global perspective as well as in different forms of media because they all provide diverse perspectives on the effects and even potential solutions for climate change. And um, crediting and celebrating activists and leaders of color and of different genders and class standing and disabilities and all of that um, isn't something about ego. It's more about making sure that you know society at large uh, reckons with the full scope of climate change and all of its possibilities and all of its um, consequences. So if we choose to see this movement only through, you know, male eyes or white eyes, uh, we'll miss a lot. And we must, you know, comprehend the full scope of it in order to have, you know, the largest scope of solutions that will actually fight it. Right. So, yeah. So, um... I can start off with talking about some online resources we can use to ed further educate ourselves on climate change. Sure, go ahead. Okay, so um, Nature Climate Change is a climate blog published by Nature Research, and it's like a monthly journal, which its goal is, and I quote, dedicated to publishing the most significant and cutting-edge research on the science of climate change. Its impacts are wider implications for the economy, society, and policy. So not only is it going to help like inform you on the science, it also relates it back to um, the economy and society and how pol like pol how politics plays into that as well. And it's really great for seeing discourse among experts in the field of climate change. Um, another one I've used a lot actually when we are uh, doing research for this podcast is um, the government research, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration or the NOAA. And it just aims to make a climate smart nation, which provide and it provides a lot of um, data graphs, stories, videos. Um, I would say it's useful for both professionals and the general public. Um, most of their content's really easy to understand, I think. Um, there are tons of news outlets that have their own sections for climate change, such as the New York Times and the Guardian, which you can totally check out. And one that I found pretty interesting was the Climate Reality Project blog by the Climate Reality Project, which was founded in 2006 by Nobel Laureate and former Vice President Al Gore, actually. And it's made up of a bunch of different cultural leaders, organizers, scientists, and storytellers, which reminds me of a concept you would discuss about, like, your role in yeah. um, activism. And they kind of draw from all of those different roles. And it just aims to make climate change an issue needed for urgent reaction across like every level of society and they include a lot of news stories and meaningful perspectives from different pioneers in the field of climate change. Yeah I like how you brought up um, two things basically on the opposite end of the spectrum. One where it's like more narrative and more personable stories like the New York Times and then one that's more like a scientific journal um, because for me personally I'm not really too keen on scientific journals just with the way that I learn but I definitely recognize like their benefits um, but yeah, everybody has different ways in which they can all learn. Um, so it's really important to just find what works best for you. Yes. Um, and another thing, although I just said that I don't really like, you know, um, 
the scientific journal aspect, the U.S. Global Change Research Program um, has done a great job of making their national climate assessment accessible to all users. So they've put it online and you can browse overview data or look at information for a specific region on their online version of it. And they even have interactive graphs to show what drives climate change. So it's a really, really great source to um, understand the true reality of climate change, but in a truly scientific sense, um, where you know that the statistics and the facts are real, um, there are numbers showing you the truth and images um, and graphs and all of that. And um, again, like with what you said for the New York Times, I personally, um, every single day, get information from the New York Times straight in my email. And you can sign up for different topics. So there's like economy, there's COVID-19, um, all of that. And of course, I sign up for their climate change topic. So you get different like um, columnists and opinions, op-eds, you know, um, and all of that about climate change. And it really keeps you up to date. And they have like either breaking news or trying to title what's happening, or you can read an entire op-ed about it. So yeah, I really, really recommend that. And I actually have a specific article that came out a couple years ago, which is titled Climate Change is Accelerating, Bringing World Dangerously Close to Irreversible Change by Henry Fountain. And that was the first article um, that I read from the New York Times, um, I think at the start of high school. And ever since then, I've been signed up for their newsletter. So, you know, uh, try to read different articles, find a favorite author because they're usually employed by them. Um, or yeah, you'll find a favorite writer and you'll end up really liking what they write. So yeah. Yeah, I really like those tips, and I like how you bring up, because um, I think for me, graphs are a really easy to, a way to understand scientific mm -hmm. information, and like you said about signing up for the subscription platform in New York Times is really good, because I think you can also do that in the Apple News app. If you have, I think everyone's, if you have an iPhone, I think it comes with the Apple News app, you can sign up for specific topics that you like to get notifications from, so yeah. I think like including climate change in that could be a good idea as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and I think that just shows how different people have different favorites and stuff like that. And I know something that probably all of people our age really enjoy is social media, obviously. Right. Um, so personally, I have a few accounts that I love and I would love sharing them with you. Okay. So yeah, yeah the first one is Generation Green on Instagram, um, which, uh, quoted by them is a black youth led intergenerational community weaving together facets of black life and social justice through an environmental liberation lens. Um, they host a lot of great forums and they have consistent informational posts that are just great to get in your feed. Um, and kind of to remind you of this crisis when you're just looking at pictures of like different random things. Um, then there's black girl environmentalists on Instagram, which is as they would, as they quote, you know, a supportive community of black girls, women, and non-binary environmentalists. And they inspire you like every day on the action you could take as an individual. Um, and also they're a source of optimism for our future, just seeing what different people are doing and different leaders, whether it's locally, nationally, at a global level, it's really inspirational and a source of optimism. And then there's Eco Justice Project on Instagram, which um, has intersectional climate advocacy and education. And they also amplify marginalized voices and stories, and they have lots of easy-to-read yet super informational infographics, and they repost key stories from key figures in the fight, whether it's tweets or, again, articles. And then there's Intersectional Environmentalists on Instagram, which is an environmental media and resource hub for exploring the intersections of social and environmental justice. Um, and they essentially have good reminders for reclaiming our time and space. You know, it's really, really important... Um, to have self-care and to take time and they kind of have the same message as the other accounts I've mentioned 
And then Almost Sun, we have Earthrise Studio, which is a new media platform communicating climate and harnessing the optimism and imagination required to build the world we urgently need, which is straight from their Instagram bio, but it truly is what they do in a lot of other accounts that I mentioned. And then finally, a personal favorite um, is Queer Brown Vegan, that's their account name, who's an environmental educator who loves learning and quote unquote unlearning. Um, and he posts cool TikToks and posts um, cool infographics. And I really like him just because of his youth and his energy, um, and it's pretty relatable. I also, um, you know, am a vegetarian, so it's relatable for that. And then I like how he stresses unlearning because I feel like we learn a lot um, that's dangerous, such as, like, our own carbon footprint. Um, you know, the individual is not to blame for this. It's truly a collective issue. So, yeah, I like the concept of unlearning. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that because we're also fed so much information all the time and we have to really choose what to believe because there's so much bias lately right. too. And yeah, but I really love bringing social media into it because that's really where most of us get our, our news and information because like not many people like find the energy to look, look up articles and stuff. So as long as it's there, you know, you're learning. I think that's really good. Right. And, um, you know, unfortunately, the re reality is that despite our interconnected world and our new digital age, um, you know, credible structured readings and safe discussion spaces, um, which are like where the true fight thrives, those are not accessible to a lot of people. Um, and that's why it's important to gather important resources like we're doing today and aid in the fight to increase accessibility and equity um, because marginalized communities still don't really have access to media and new media um so yeah right and that kind of i guess we can segue into books then too because mm -hmm. i'm not sure these might be available at like public libraries like yeah if some if that's all some communities may have access to um so one book i have written down here is i don't i haven't read these but they all seemed really good <laughs> so, mm -hmm. but uh this changes everything capitalism versus the climate by naomi klein this one takes probably maybe a more of a hot take but it, it definitely relates more to the economy and capitalism in relation to climate change and um is quote a civilization wake-up call or is but it, it refers to climate change as a civilization wake-up call mm-hmm and another one is The Uninhabitable Earth by David Wallace I was Wells. gonna recommend that. I love you that are. book so much. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad you actually read it because I, I saw yeah. a bunch of good things about it if I wasn't actually yeah, sure. Yeah, and it's short it? too. Sure, yeah. yeah. It's a short book um, and it really tells a lot in it, but it's actually like, I love how a lot of climate books like get straight to the point um, because other social issues don't really and they kind of like hop around the actual issue. But yeah, he... Right. Um, Wallace unpacks, like, the past, the present, and the future of this crisis, um, you know, in a time of, like, climate, um, you know, climate change that's led by man-made causes, um, and his book manages to convey, like, not only the urgency and anxiety of it, but also the optimism of it and how we can actually turn things around and actually, um, lead things with real solutions. So, at first, uh, for me personally, and I know a lot of other people who read it, It'll shock you and, like, kind of scare you because it, again, cuts straight to the point. But once you put it down, once you're done with it, once you've maybe reread it um, because of how short it is, you'll decide to get straight to action. So it really is, again, um, something that will kind of give a little anxiety and shock to you, but also will give you some optimism and a spur to action. 
Yeah, I love that. I think it's it's really great to add like some hope at the end, especially how all of this can cause a lot of people a lot of anxiety. But um, and the last book I have noted here is Field Notes from a Catastrophe by Elizabeth Colbert. Colbert? Colbert? I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it brings to attention the causes and effects of climate change and describing how it affects specific locations as well as discussing with scientists. She also brings to attention the influence of corporations and politicians on climate change. So, um, And she has a ton of books on the environment and climate change. So if you are ever in the library, maybe check her out, Elizabeth. K-O-L-B-E-R-T. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I've definitely heard her name before, and also Naomi Klein, which who you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Another book that I really enjoyed, um, which actually covers a topic that we'll be discussing in the next episode, um, it's called Climate Change from the Streets by Michael Mendez, and um, he stresses that the climate crisis is also a crisis for public health. So if you're really like a sucker for intersectionality, um, I definitely recommend that book. And then one that I haven't read, but um, is definitely on my to-read, is titled Indigenous Environmental Justice by Karen Jarrett Snyder and Marianne O. Nielsen. Um, and it kind of covers how pollution and climate change can harm your physical, financial, spiritual health, mental health. Um, you know, so that makes it even more than an injustice. That makes it like a human rights violation. So it brings up a lot of indigenous situations like Standing Rock um to uranium mining on navajo and hopi lands um through the lens of you know a post-colonialist um structure sovereignty and what i found most important was victory um again i find it really really important to read times of victory and solutions and all of that so those are all the book recommendations that i have i think those are really great and um do you, I, I can talk about climate scientists now. If, sure, go ahead. Right, so I know there there are some people who do prefer, like, a scientific perspective on things. I know Naomi is <laughs> No, I definitely <laughs> love it, but I love having, like, a journalist yeah. interpret it for me. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. But if you're interested, um, I have some top climate scientists listed here. So Wallace S. Broecker, he's often referred to as the grandfather of climate science. He discovered the Great Ocean Conveyor Belt, which is a causal factor in determining the Earth's climate, and he's won many awards and is the author and co-author or editor of more than 20 books and reports on climate change and um, just general science, I think, and is also the author or co-author of over 900 peer-reviewed journal articles, and a lot of them are in relation to the ocean and climate change and how um, those things are related and just like why climate change is happening, how it can impact the earth. So if you're interested in reading scientific articles, definitely search him up, Wallace S. Broecker. Another one is Susan Solomon. She spent most of her career working with the NOAA, which I mentioned earlier, which is really cool because I'm like, oh, I did not know that. Mm -hmm. And her field of specialization is in atmospheric chemistry. And she made the hypothesis that the hole in the ozone layer opening was a result of interaction with man-made chemicals like chlorofluorocarbons, which I thought was really interesting because I remember like learning about that in middle school, but never really who like pioneered that idea. And um, that comes from like refrigeration, like hair products in the 70s that eventually got banned, I believe. I think it's still used in some refrigeration today, though. Mm-hmm. And something I remember, uh, oh yeah, she is also the author or co-author of nearly 200 peer-reviewed journal articles and is the author editor of three books and she's won many prestigious awards for her findings so if you're interested in learning more about 
climate change in relation to the atmosphere, I would search her up, Susan Solomon. She has tons of articles. Yeah, and we've been mentioning a lot of, like, things you can read, and I know reading isn't for everyone. Yes. So I would just like to mention, like, some films, some shows, and some videos. So first, some YouTube videos. Um, one is kind of a comedic take on it, but also completely factual, which is John Oliver's climate change debate YouTube video with 97 scientists and three skeptics. So obviously that's bound to be a little bit funny and John Oliver's really, really funny. And also like keep up with him too, because he covers lots of different issues, including climate change consistently. Um, and then another video is literally an 83 second video. So I definitely recommend it, but it's called the history of climate change negotiations in 83 seconds. And it was made by a Norwegian research center about um, the UN and all the different countries within it. And basically the history of um, their discussions on climate change and their action and largely inaction against it. Um, so if you want to know why we are where we are now, that's a very short video to explain it. And then some movies. So the first one um, is called Before the Flood. I'm sure a lot of you have heard about it. And it's starring Leonardo DiCaprio, who um, his character is a messenger of peace of the UN. And it was surprisingly moving when I watched it. Um, and it has good uh, ratings. And it, pre it presents an account of the dramatic changes now occurring around the world due to climate change, um, as well as the actions we individuals and as a society can take to prevent further disruption of the planet. And then another movie is on Netflix and it was made by Netflix and it's called Our Planet. And that also surprisingly was amazing. And it's an eight episode series which focuses on a different ecosystem in each episode, like deserts, jungles, oceans, all of that. Um, so with each episode, no matter the ecosystem, um, it kind of uncovers the dramatic consequences of human activities on those natural ecosystems and on its biodiversity and its species. Um, and then again, like the movie I just mentioned, it provides ways we can individually and collectively combat the degradation of our planet. And then finally, a documentary also um, by Al Gore, because I know you mentioned Al Gore earlier, Alina, yeah. <laughs> called In An Inconvenient Truth, which was made in 2006. So this was actually around the time that um, the, uh, the climate change issue started being, like, being taken seriously again. It resurged. Um, and he is credited with reviving that in a sense, um, alongside lots of other media that came out around that time. And some more about him, just so you kind of can like get a grasp of his cre credibility, is he was awarded a Nobel Peace Prize alongside the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change for their efforts to build awareness and a larger information bank on man-made climate change. So, um... You know, despite what some people may think about government and what they share about climate change, um, it's still a pretty good movie and he's still a pretty good source. And he also has lots of books on the issue. So, yeah, I really recommend those. Yeah, I really like that. And, like, going back to sources that aren't just reading, honestly, podcasts, like, we are not the only climate change podcast. <laughs> like, right. there are so many out there um, you guys can listen to while you're doing anything. Um and one YouTube channel I recommend, just off the top of my head, um, mm -hmm. they don't only have, they have videos about anything related to science, but another more scientific resource, I guess, would be the channel Kurzgesat. I forgot how to pronounce it, I think you might know what I'm talking about, but they definitely have good videos about climate change. I've actually never heard of that, but I'll definitely look into it. Maybe I've seen it, I don't Kurz know. Kurzgescat, <laughs> in a nutshell. That's the <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. The but yeah, it's a German um, animation studio that like 
discusses political and philosophical and like scientific topics and you'll definitely find good information there about anything but definitely some on climate change yeah um and actually something else that i think is really great besides keeping up with youtube series and shows and movies and stuff like that is taking part in virtual classes obviously we're in a pandemic but i'm sure this will carry on um even after this is hopefully done soon um but yeah virtual classes so i'm actually part of one made by the slow factory um it's a human rights and environmental justice institute um, and basically, they have free classes from trained professionals who teach lessons on the intersection of the fashion industry, fast fashion, um, decolonization, sustainability, and uh, even spirituality was one of the classes, um, among so much more. So, so far, all the lessons that I've participated in have been led by amazing women. So, it's been pretty, pretty cool. Um, lots of representation. I love hearing from people like me. Um, and yeah, they've been these cool like virtual live classes that are completely free and you know the more you sign up for newsletters the more you follow social media accounts the more you'll learn about these types of things and obviously you don't have to show up to all of them like i've missed one or two but i've gone to three so it's been pretty cool um and then another thing is um i know a lot of people don't like to learn about things on their own they're more like group minded so joining a collective as we've mentioned in other episodes is really crucial um, if that's your type of learning. So there's things like the Sunrise Movement, which actually has an online school to get involved, and it's open to all young people. And then there's also Fire Drill Fridays, which is led by Jane Fonda. So if you're a Jane Fonda fan, that's pretty cool. Um, and she's, like, a pretty influential figure. She used to get arrested every single Friday before the pandemic, um, fighting for climate change in D.C. Um, Dedication. I know, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously she's super rich, so she could get out of it, but still, it's, yeah. like, to go through that every Friday... Um, yeah, and they have lots of cool rallies and speakers, and um, we do have a whole episode on youth collectives um, and other sorts of collectives, so getting involved is really great. Discussion groups, um, maybe you could even lead like a local initiative um, and try to get legislation passed. It's really important to start locally. I feel like a lot of people are very um, open-minded and try to go at like a whole national level and everything, but local really is important like there's proof of that with like stacy abrams for example she got so many local um people in georgia to register to vote and that did impact on a national level so yeah you don't always have to look to get you know kind of selfishly your name out there or to get big things passed because it really is like crucial locally right like just at your school even if there is yeah. like an environment club join it if there isn't one start it like mm -hmm. people like it'll get some people to join, some people to learn some things and get involved, anything yeah. locally. Like Tupac said, he doesn't care if he changes the world, he just wanted, he just wants to change the mind who will. So Should that be our intro? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he rapped that, actually. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, having more discussions with people um, is really, really important. Sharing resources like we are today. Is really important. I actually wanted to mention something um, called the concept of a public syllabi. Um, so this is actually how I first was kind of introduced like different types of resources because I remember in 2014 when Ferguson happened, um, I was really confused. Um, of course, that's the unfortunate shooting and unjust shooting of Michael Brown. And I was really, really confused on the context for the situation. Like, why did this happen? Why is there so much unrest about it? Um, so it left me wondering what I could do and left me with many, many questions, but, um, 
with the organization of the like hashtag Ferguson syllabus on Twitter, which was instigated by Marsha Chatelaine, who's an African American studies and history professor at Georgetown University, um, a public syllabus was created. So basically, they use foundational texts as a means to contextualize current events. Um, and it's largely made by scholars and researchers and activists, but also through the use of things like a hashtag, you can scroll through it on social media and find what um, the public has shared to contextualize an event. Um, so it's basically a way to curate um, online syllabi to distribute accessible content content that helps others process what's going on um, and how we got to certain moments, like um, with the storming of the Capitol. Um, of course, I'm old enough and educated enough to be able to interpret on my own what's going on, but it really was helpful to look at public syllabi to know like what like led these people to do this. And I learned so much about QAnon and the KKK and the far right that wasn't explicitly talked about um, right when it happened, you know? So yeah, public syllabi is really important and it's basically crowdsourcing books, essays, images, videos, and so much more that speak to the reasons for an event um, or for a concept, for an idea, for anything. So with climate change, um, there's so many sets of public syllabi and like we're doing today, we're basically making a syllabus um, of different resources that you can use to learn about climate change as a whole. But of course, you know, Texas, all of that just happened with the snowstorms. Um, you can definitely find syllabi online that have resources explaining their infrastructure um, sets and programs um, and policies, as well as like maybe videos of the snowstorms and personal accounts of how that affected people. So yeah, um, you know, uh, the resulting ignorance for a lot of events really just shows how important it is to equip people with the knowledge to actually fight issues like climate change in a knowledgeable way. Um, and they essentially all have the common goal of serving as a tool for those interested in social justice to educate themselves and others on deeper contexts. So, you know, if these lists aren't your cup of tea, because like they are words and they are lengthy, you know, lists like one by one type things maybe you can look um at the bibliography at the end of like your favorite book about climate change or any other issue um because if you like one thing then you'll probably like the sources that that author or writer used or um like we mentioned like joining an email newsletter um they send you new information or they can send you petitions like greenpeace sends me petitions all the time so you can know what's going on what people are fighting for or you can also get sent like virtual free conferences that get streamed on YouTube or Zoom or whatever you enjoy. So yeah, that's all I have to say about that. I love that one. I think it's really important to know Thank this, you. like the deeper context of any source of information. I like how it can be applied to many topics in right. society. So yeah. Do you have anything else um, to share? Like any other sources that have helped you? Um, I have nothing else to share, but... Um, since you mentioned Texas, I thought it was just mm -hmm. as a random comment. I thought it was crazy how it went from freezing to like above eighty degrees in oh, like a yeah. week. Like if that doesn't yeah. if that doesn't say something, I don't know what does. Right. Yeah. And then just like for example, I was just talking about how there's a book I mean I guess we could talk about this in the next episode, but just quickly um, talking about how there's a book that shows that cl the climate crisis is a public health crisis and then the governor of Texas um, removes the mask mandate and any other mandate about the pandemic and says the pandemic is over where conveniently it's after he gets a vaccine. It's just like, it's obviously going to hit communities much harder that he enacts this that, you know, are 
um, drastically impacted by climate change as well. So it's just like continuously educate yourself because it's all interconnected. So the more you read, the more you'll understand stuff. And yeah. <laughs> 100%. So yeah, do you have anything else you'd like to say? Um, no, really. I guess to wrap it up, um, you know, to make the most of this critical decade that we're in um, and to make the most out of being able to address the global warming crisis, we largely need to learn as much as we can about climate-related problems and, and figure out what can and can't be done to address them and fight them and solve them. Um, so, you know, approaches centered on, like, scientific knowledge, but also there's approaches centered on narratives and individual experience. That makes it all manageable for different people to learn. So find what works for you um, and keep on spreading it and having discussions. And that's really what's most important. Yes. Stay learning and... And drink water. Drink water. <laughs> Take care of yourselves, guys. Yep. We love you. Bye. Bye.